When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. The great debate in the financial services industry. Active versus passive. I'm going to put reverb on that because there are many. For, well, you know, for most of the history of the, uh, the mutual fund industry and the money management industry, it has been believed that active funds are superior in every way to just owning the dull, boring market, which people have referred to as either the Dow or the S&P 500 most of the time. Neither of which is the best way to go, but sure. Well, but the that was all based on limited data and uh, a lot of anecdotes as opposed to evidence. Then, when people actually started studying the anecdotes, they found the truth that a degree of passivity called or indexing, straight indexing, is better than active management in most cases. Has been. Yeah, everything, everything, whenever we say is, we mean has been. Yeah, it pretty much has to. It has to, because yeah. nothing actually, and, and this is going to get a little philosophic, but there is no is. Basically not. There is only was yeah. or will be. Mm-hmm. And the was we know, still, the will be we don't. I still love that from Retire Meet a few years ago, where that guy was berating us about, I think it was about gold or something. On, yeah, on, I think on. it was. I think it was because yeah, he was, and you, he was finally, certain that the, the, right. the economy of the happen. U.S. was going to yep. collapse. It. Here's what's got to happen. And you mm-hmm. said. He said it's me. got to happen. I know he does. I, I still. And you got up in a very brave and bold fashion. Well, that's Don typical. But you got up and said, sir, you don't think it's going to happen one moment after I say these words right now. No mm-hmm. idea. And it kind of shut him up because. That's the truth, right? You have no, no idea. So what no. you can, the only thing you can do is rely on the evidence of the past and hope for the best in the future. Yet the debate rages on. And the other thing, the other thing about the debate, Tom, that really bothers me is the fact that a lot of groups like DFA and Avantis now insist on calling themselves active yep. managers when the active we're talking about is stock pickers and market timers and those who are trying to find fundamental value or technical squiggly lines on which to make their decisions. It's bad it, because I feel it's bad branding. It's like saying, yeah, I'm a smoker. Uh, nobody yeah, will admit yeah. that. But uh, I'm not smoking tobacco. Not tobacco. I'm smoking no, okay. clothes. <laughs> it's whatever it is. Uh, 
So there was recently a conference in the United Kingdom uh, that Morningstar put on. Morningstar is an organization that kind of looks at the whole industry, provides information on that. In fact, I've been looking at a few funds this morning on Morningstar. And the question that came out of this, the article that they wrote, the, the, the interviews that were part of this, said, does the future belong to active or passive investing or both? And then it said Morningstar does not have, doesn't have a corporate party line. Um, yeah, but there's a reason likely why they don't have a, a corporate party take a line. Guess. Why? I noticed that when I look up an American fund, for example, the whole page turns into a giant advertisement for American funds. They make their money selling ads to the people whose funds they're analyzing. Mm-hmm. Really? That's a mm-hmm. potential a, conflict of interest. Conflicts of interest abound yes they do uh and so and and so they have all these people that they and i'm not going to go through them all and you can find this online i'm sure if you want to read it um one of whom they quote and said i'm not naive enough to say you should only take one side uh and then another one said well wait only 30 percent of active equity managers succeeded in outperforming their passive peers in europe and then they also talk about how and this is the part that i think is very interesting they don't mention this but i happen to know this uh, because when I really got going in the industry, um, there was about one out of twenty dollars invested in index or index-like products. It was a yeah. very small number. Yeah, Today sure. in the United States, they cl- they claim now that it's about fifty-fifty, half in index or passive, if you will, and half in active. So, and then they quote another woman said that we talk with our clients about having a passive core with an active satellite. I'm like, what? Well, what in the heck is an active satellite? That means the ones going around, I guess you're picking, you're taking active managers. And then another person says, well, we use some in the short term. We, we find those hot managers. And then, uh, <laughs> and then somebody at Morningstar says, there are things you can do, including using our ratings to improve your chances of outperformance. Oh, yeah. Which is fascinating because if you remember, there was a study 10 or 15 years ago that found that their star system had no. Wait, do you know who did the study? About their star system? I think they did it themselves. They they? did it themselves. And And they said the best indicator of future potential is expenses. Yeah. Not four stars, whatever it is. Uh, It made no sense. So then the the moderator tried to summarize this and say, I'm hearing two trends here. The first is that active management is firmly entrenched in market segment and is not going anywhere. The other is, and here's the important part, I think, for our discussion. The lines between active and passive management are often blurred. It's hard to tell the difference in many cases because you mentioned dimensional funds from time to time. You mentioned Avantis investors. They would call themselves active investors. They don't want to be just put in the pure indexing. We're not adherent to what the S&P 500 is holding. Yeah, which bothers me because I, I that's why I want a new category. And and what we've tried, and, and this is we've been trying this for several years, is the the middle category is called evidence based. And I want you to understand the difference because evidence based funds do not go out and try to make predictions. They choose the stocks that meet their academic criteria and put them in the portfolio for whatever the rules state, the period they state they should be there. As long as they meet certain criteria, they stay based on X, Y, and Z. It is a complicated uh, program. It is. Yeah. But 
It is not hunch-based or individual security research-based. And this is the this is I think that's where the rubber meets the road. And if I was out looking for an advisor or trying to decide on an approach, I would not use the one that this person mentioned. He says 40 percent of our book of business is in passive strategies. Twenty five percent is in active and twenty five percent is in a blend of the two. Now, I looked him up. Turns out he's a registered Republican. He's a registered Democrat and a registered libertarian. I mean, that's what he's telling me. I don't have, it's just like, I don't believe anything. Whatever way the wind blows, I'll take that fund. I'll take this fund. You've got to know you what you believe. You told me not to bring politics into oh, this. Okay, I thought that, that was too easy. I know. So, well, you mentioned my above ground pool, so I felt like you might oh, have yeah, it coming. Okay. Uh, so, we call it the WTP. You'll exactly. figure it out. No, it's not hard. I don't, that drives me crazy. It just tells me you don't believe anything that it's like, and I don't. The, let's talk about the, the evidence. Okay. I love quoting standard and poor's because all standard and poor's does their job is just to crunch numbers. That's all they do. They just are number crunchers. Really? They create in indices, but they're number crunchers. It fits that fits this index. It doesn't fit that index every other six months or every six months two times a year. Yep. They go through the entire universe of mutual mutual funds, all of them, everyone, and they calculate how many funds underperformed, underperformed. That's the key word in these numbers, the index, whatever the index might be. For example, for the large cap, they use the S&P 500. And then they look at actively managed funds that are in that same category, large cap. Fishing growth. from that same ocean. Exactly. Now, here's what is really interesting. Over the past year, and I don't know what the date is on this. I don't remember when they did their last one. I think it was over the summer. Over that previous year, this is a number I had never seen in all the years I've been looking at SPIVA. Which is? 10, 11%. Only 11% of actively managed funds underperformed the S&P 500 over that one year. Uh, only 11 underperformed or outperformed? Underperformed. And you're going to need to say what SPIVA is so because 80, people don't know. Standard & Poor's indexing versus active. Okay. SPIVA. Got SPIVA. it. SPIVA. You can so go look it up online. 89% outperformed? Exactly. Over one year. Ah, Okay, that's the year. Now, that's what all of these people who say, ooh, 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 active's working again. They're using that one year. Of course. On which to base that sales decision or that purchase decision. However, let's go out a little longer, shall we? Let's go out to just a mere three years. Was it three or Yeah, three years. Three years. Yeah. So we had 11. Yeah. Yeah. 78% underperformed over three years. So they did so well that one year they took the next two years off, apparently. Apparently. Yeah. Over five years, 78% underperformed. Over 10 years, 85% underperformed. And get this. Yeah. Over 15 years. 15 long years. Over 15 years, 90 6.3% underperformed the index. So what are the odds that over that 15-year period, you picked the 4 point, no, 3 point, 
I got to find the number again. I, I, I misplaced it. Oh, I'm sorry. It was 96.97. I was looking at the wrong line. So it's 97%. What are the odds you, over that entire 15-year period, picked the lousy little 3% that outperformed over that period? And based on that, I think you can kind of extrapolate out from that and go, gosh, if I held it for 20 years, the odds are looking even worse, <laughs> aren't they? Remember, you got to pick it in advance. Right. You don't get, you don't get to wait. Those you don't get to and, look back no, and go, no. oh, I just want those 3% that yeah. won. That's no, why no, I found no, that no, to be no, a joke no, no, when no. the active man, I just find the short-term success. Yeah. 89, right now, if you, you could have picked from the 89% that won. Sure. Yeah. But over 15, that 89% is going to be, if past is prologue, it's going to be whittled down to about 3%. And if that is troubling, and that's not if that's not enough, one of the conclusions they arrived at at this conference was uh, you, that they, they said there are two observations that are quite obvious. One is that the value premium, only more value-oriented stocks, has, has not worked. Uh, growth stocks have outperformed for the last 10 years. No question. I, I'm going to agree with that. And that smaller companies have underperformed for the last 10 years as well. Yeah, but here's my yeah. issue with that. When you, when you publicize that, what does that make people want to do? They want to say, oh, you're right. I'm going to take everything out of small in value and move it over to large growth. We can show you, looking back over long periods of time, that that is a very bad market timing decision that usually results in underperformance. It's been terrible. Oh, and yeah. by the way, just to clarify for all the uh, people who listen to the podcast and go, don't say that, don't say that. Um, I am referring to the comparison is not to the S&P 500. It is to what the slice that S&P takes out called the S&P 500 growth index. The, the growth numbers I was talking about, that's that the, the only it's, it's only the growth side of the S&P 500 that they're okay. comparing. With. So, and here's the thing. Now you're sitting at home in your car, walking your dog, working on your garden, whatever you do while you listen to our podcast. Thank you for that. Trying to figure out. So, okay. So that's great. Very theoretical, <laughs> but how do I pick funds? Because that at the end of the, this is, do I, do I go passive? I think one thing you've got to do is trust ethical organizations. Now, I would include on that list dimensional dimensional uh -huh. funds, Avantis funds, and Vanguard. Uh -huh. And I guess Black Black Rock Fidelity. would be in there too. Yeah. Fidelity. I the iShare stuff. Yeah, I, um, I think those are ethical. I think you're going to get what you're paying for there. Number two, I would only, only use academic-based white paper peer-reviewed work. That's it. I would not trust anybody who came along with an idea and said, ah, I found it. This is the way to go. I trust things that have that review, have a look at by their peers, that kind of thing. And here's one I would never use. And they talk about this in the uh, in the conference a bit. Thematic funds, which you're getting ready to see the issue of the greatest thematic fund perhaps in history, the spot Bitcoin price fund, which I expect will be allowed to trade any day now. But this is I see people rushing into ideas not asset classes. I would avoid that like the plague. Absolutely. No question. Oh, one other just for fun. This is just fun. You know, the the uh, alternative investment products, the loan participation things. That, yeah, right. You know, the lend, whatever. Uh, over 15 years. Do you know how many of those outperformed their benchmark? How many? Zero. Not one. So Not just one. owning the index there made more sense. Owning the index in every case made more sense. The only area I could find where active management showed some 
some <laughs> potential was in global income. Global income funds have, in, in the last year, uh, outperformed 75% of the time. Over 15 years, they outperformed 42% of the time. Wow. Okay. But still, they lose. Even in the best category, they still and lose the to the category. index. Yeah, okay. Didn't work. So right. do you see why we say you don't want active funds? If you have active funds in your portfolio, then you're playing a fool's game. You may be, it may be working for you now. But watch out down and, the road. Okay, so then are dimensional funds active? Are no. Avantis funds active? No, they're in that okay. middle category. There, it is not the, black and white. Life if we get is them on gray. the show. They're gonna, they're gonna say they're active. I know th- we've had them on the show when they yeah, said they're right, active. Right, there you go. And I said that's a terrible name. And you can see why people then are so confused because it's confusing. DFA and and Avantis stop calling. Invent a new word. There you go. They right. got all kinds of people there that can do that kind they of have, stuff. Yeah, they have scientists. I've been to their in building in Austin. They got Nobel Prize winners. Go to Gene Fama. He'll come up. Come with on, he's got this big old brain. Take go a to time Gene. Out. Go, Gene. What's between active and passive? We need that. We need a name. He'll go. Oh my! My Nobel Prize winning brain. No, I'm, I'm making him sound <laughs> German. Henry Kissinger or something. Henry come on, Kissinger, my yeah. Nobel Prize. <laughs> Did Henry Kissinger win? Yeah, he won a Nobel Prize. My Nobel Prize winning brain. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, we got little time, but we're going to throw a couple questions at him. Um, right. This comes from Michael in Florida. Mm-hmm. It makes total sense that Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon, and the like are against Bitcoin. Bitcoin is very disruptive to the very centralized fiat system that has made them so profitable. If I were them, I would want Bitcoin banned as well. Can you explain in strictly objective terms, not with statements like it has no value, why you are against Bitcoin? There's now over 14 years of documented growth with significant (laughs) short-term volatility, resulting in Bitcoin being the best performing asset bar none. The worldwide adoption continues at a significant rate. Do you have any objective reasons to be against Bitcoin? Sir? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Well, one, it's the best performing asset depending on from, from the point from which you measure it. If you measure it from 21 or when, when did it hit 67? Was that 22 or 21? It's 21. Uh, 21, I think. Yeah. Uh, then it's a terrible asset. It is an incredibly volatile asset. That is a totally objective. It may very well be the most volatile asset ever. I mean, it's volatile. It's all over the place. But, but my objective distaste for it, dislike, lies in the securitization of it. Almost every asset you can come up with, including your fiat currencies, a fiat currency, like a fiat car, you know, it has something behind it. A fiat car has an engine and a metal body and, you know, it has true tangible value. They can tax to pay the whatever for the fiat. A fiat currency is backed by the full faith and credit of the issuing government. And that government has almost unlimited taxing authority and assets. The United States government owns trillions and trillions of dollars of hard assets. Bureau of Land Management, National Forests, National Park Service, 
Don't they have the Ark of the Covenant locked up in some? The Ark, Ark of the somewhere? Covenant in that big vault. That was on. Yeah. I saw it in a so, movie. Yeah. Uh, the the U.S. government has tangible assets backing its currencies, sure. along with taxation. What securitization does Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency have? It is electrons. Electrons are not tangible. Uh, it is whatever the other person says it is. It if 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 everything fell apart, the entire economy fell apart, your dollar is going to be worthless completely if the US economy collapses and your bitcoin is going to be worthless. So what's the difference? The bitcoin for the if times are good or times are reasonable the Bitcoin has no reason for existing. It, it it accomplishes nothing. That's the other part of it. In addition to the securitization, what is it good for? I think you can buy anything you like in El Salvador. <sighs> yeah, maybe. Pay your rent. Right. What is it good no, for? No, I'm with you. I, I'm teasing you. But the thing, the thing that you mentioned that I think is very well, the important. The fiat's come. I heard the fiat horn. <laughs> That's the uh, submarine down dive. Oh. Uh, I think the thing that you mentioned that to me is the most important is it is a pure speculation. There is nothing else to it other than that. You think it's worth more than I do? Then mm -hmm. pay more. All right. Mm -hmm. Good answer. Uh, this one comes from Lawn in beautiful Fox Island, Washington, near Tacoma. My mother-in-law is 86 and vibrant. She will probably live to 100. She recently moved into a retirement home, independent living. Between her Social Security and her survivor pension, all of her bills are paid. She has an annuity and a few other investments that afford her travel when she wants. Good for her. Her home is paid off. She'll be selling it this spring. She never is going to need it. So they're looking to uh, invest this for a larger inheritance for her kids and grandkids. I'm asking roughly how she should invest the money. You can't ask roughly how she should invest the money because, again, any suggestion on investing money has to be based on a plan. Always the plan. The plan must come first. Who's going to get this money? What's it going to be used for? What will it be? For example, you could say, oh, it's going to go to the kids and grandkids, but it may be that there's a kid that's going to really need it and need it to be liquid. Good point. So you wouldn't want to be aggressive with it. Uh, it may turn out, you know, Surprises happen. Indeed, they do. With older people, with younger people. Surprises happen to people. Something could happen in her life that her income streams will not cover, and you could put that in some illiquid investments, Well, or you could put it in liquid investments that are very volatile, like stocks, which might be good for the, the kids. But if mom needed it in a year, you know, I don't know what the amount is, but you know, let's say it's a million dollars, and she needs a million dollars worth of incredibly expensive care I'm not saying that's going to happen and it's only worth 500,000 because then the stock you're market in went trouble. down trouble yeah yeah i think so that was your long-winded way of saying have a plan first then decide on the investments yes okay just checking yes, I, yes, yes you got that right yes. okay yeah well you're a talk show guy that's your job is to fill a lot of open air so well yeah yeah, have a plan. I think in this I case, just to explain why you should meet with an advisor and get a get an idea. So, as Don said, yeah. the purpose of the money after 
your mother-in-law is gone. And if you meet with anybody who who answers that question, then you need to leave. Because if they don't start with the plan before they suggest a single solitary investment product, they are incompetent. And it sadly, it's probably eight out of 10 people that would do that. They would just say, go ahead and put it in this. Oh, aren't you being generous? <laughs> well, it's the holidays. You know, it's the perpetual uh, season of hope. I mean, I saw a study year uh, in 2015, I believe it was, that showed that 90% Okay, well, Don't we're only we're only missing by ten. It's not that far. So, uh, and by the way, tis the season to, yeah, jolly. Get, la, yeah. La, well, la, there's la. always that, but getting that plan ready because before you know it, we're going to be flipping the calendar over, and it's going to be two o two four, which just pains me in some ways because I don't want to say what age I will be during two o two four, but. You got to have the plan. Don just mentioned uh, to, to, to make any financial decision. You have to have a roadmap. You got to have a, this is what I'm trying to do. We help people here and we do a lot of free stuff like analyzing your portfolio, talking with an advisor with no sales pressure, with no, you got to sign this by Tuesday nonsense that you're a lot about in the industry. So easy to do that, to set that meeting up. Get something rolling here towards the end of the year. Go to Talking Real Money. Click on Meet an Advisor. I think I got that right. You did. All right. Yeah. So you have to keep reminding me that there's another year that's just coming. Like right, right. You're not a big guy on that, are you? No. Yeah. Well, because 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 think about this. I just did the calculation. Like when the year rolls over, <laughs> yeah, I am closer to seventy no. than uh, than sixty five. Oh. So, but the only encouragement. I do take a, there's a little encouragement in, in the world. My favorite musician is Peter Gabriel oh, who was with Genesis. Great musician. Yeah. And Peter Gabriel just put out a new album at How old 73. Is How old is and Carlos it, Santana? I don't know, but this album sounds as good as no. anything he's ever done. I think we're at the peak it's right now. Very young. It's a very young feeling album, but although he does talk about death and getting old, and creakiness and and aches not, and pains. Not creepiness, and, as long as that. Not yeah, that, well, yeah. not creepy. We did that in the last podcast. <laughs> True, creepy, not creaky. Creeping. Uh, so anyway, I feel better. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we're at the full, our powers are big, baby. Oh, I know we're going over, but did I tell you? I didn't tell you this. I got a, I, you know, I do uh, my hobby. And it's truly my hobby. I, I used to act as a hobby yeah. and I can't find any place to act. So I started voice acting as a hobby and I got an audition request sent directly to me and it was just for me. And I read it. The guy was very nice. And I read it and he, and he said, this is for a virtual commemorative image. And I'm going, so I read the script. He wanted me to do a commercial for an NFT. Oh, a non-fungible token. token. Yeah, come on. Yeah. And really? the pay was great. Yeah, that was so that's so 2020. Come on. But you know really? what I did? I turned the I said I can't do it. Don't want people to buy that product. I said I am not gonna, gonna lend my voice to a uh, a crazy crypto product. I will not do it. I don't care what it you're what not gonna do politics either. 
No. Well, I did one. I know. I did one. I've given you a bad time. Turns out, turns out the one political ad I did turned out to be the most famous political ad of 2023. I think it was. It was. It was the most famous political ad of. We're not going to say what it was, but no, because it it was. It was. I didn't mean to do it. Oh. Oh, you, 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 they I tricked meant you into saying it, something? I didn't know for whom it was. I see. Okay. Creative. That one, of all the spots you've done in your blankety-blank number of years, that one elicited the most comments from people that knew the two of us that I ever saw. Oh, my gosh. So, from, crazy. I mean, people were calling my wife going, is that your husband? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Yeah, okay. Although my coach, one of my coaches, one of my voice coaches said, I am telling everybody. I am just bragging on <laughs> I'm you. I'm so proud, man. You're yeah. on the national news. <laughs> because you yeah. are, you made it. You just started a year ago. Good for you. Yeah, let's anyway. not. So anyway, put that in the archives <laughs> I didn't way even put back it, there. I didn't even put it on my website. I think I didn't. that's smart. Yeah. yeah, it's smart, isn't it? All right. Thank you all for doing that thing you do, which is listen to us while we do this thing we do. Um, I'm here in Florida where it's 74 degrees. Tom's there in Seattle where it's cold. <laughs> and oh, Dark. every, every Rain. day of the week, except for, we will not have a Christmas podcast nor a new year's what? day podcast. Oh, come on. Did you want to put in some no, extra hours? I don't. All I right. didn't even want to do the show on the 23rd. Remember you had to talk me into that. We're doing the 23rd. I just wanted to sit It'll around be and be fun. lazy. What are you going to do on the I 23rd? Don't I don't know. I just didn't. I, I mean, just, honestly. I didn't want to do anything. That was Between it. the 24th and the 25th, by the 26th, I'm like done. I hear It's you. like, all right, fair enough. Can I just go back to work, please? Which I'm going to do. Anyway, thanks for being there. I'm Don. That's Tom. We're talking real money. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast were current on the date recorded. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, including any forward-looking estimates or statements which are based on certain expectations and assumptions. Although information and opinions given have been obtained from or based on sources believed to be reliable, no warranty or representation is made as to their correctness, completeness, or accuracy. Information presented on the podcast is not personalized investment advice from Appella Wealth. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for everyone. This podcast does not identify all the risks, direct or indirect, or other considerations which might be material to you when entering any financial transaction. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and profitable results cannot be guaranteed. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. The podcast is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Wealth, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Please see Appella Wealth's ADV Part 2A on our website for information regarding Appella's fees and services. Appella Capital LLC, DBA Appella Wealth, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in the states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration with the SEC or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Appella does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing either stated or implied here should be inferred as providing such advice. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and important disclosure related to performance of any specific index or fund quoted in this podcast. And the lawyers get richer.